Yeah, so why don't you eat corn, you jerk? The answer is a little more complicated, but still, the thing is great. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back on the Wages of Cinema podcast. And a good way to always start a podcast is talking about corn! Oh, corn! But we have a more pressing concern. Uh, I'm Andrew, by the way. That's Jack. How you doing, folks? And I would like to ask one of the most important questions concerning cinema today. Please. Can LeBron James act? Um, because if you've question. seen the the trailers for the film The Trainwreck, you would swear that he's like a third of that movie. Is he in a lot of that movie? I didn't really Oh, he's in a lot of the trailer. <laughs> it's like every third scene has LeBron James reacting to something or saying oh? a line. Huh. Yeah. I don't really remember him being... Is that is he like the Al Pacino of in Jack and Jill of this movie? You think? I don't know. Where Maybe. He, yeah. Well, that was the thing with that uh, Jack and Jill movie was like we we're gonna try get Al Pacino in a Dunkin' Donuts commercial because product placement. <laughs> I, I'm excited for Trainwreck just because you know I I want to see what Amy Schumer can do in a leading role. And Judd Apatow hasn't done a movie in a while that wasn't like self-indulgent. I want, like, I'm glad that he's making a movie that involves someone else and that he's trying to use his talents for that end. So the question remains, can LeBron James act? I saw him in the trailer. Yeah, I'm like, yeah he, he doesn't. Probably not. I he mean, he doesn't seem terrible. Could, could Michael Jordan act? No. <laughs> Opposite Couldn't Bugs play Bunny. baseball either, but <laughs> no, um, that's not what he's known for. So, no, it's true. Um, yeah, he's known for dunking with his tongue out and doing that stuff. That's an interesting question. Did we though. see the same movie? Well, no, no, well, <laughs> he didn't do that so much in the movie, but just as a basketball player, if you see pictures of Michael Jordan doing his like dunking, he has like his tongue out. Oh, he's it's like, kind of like sometimes when people really concentrate, they, they they stick their tongue out or do something weird and they don't even realize they're making that face. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, uh, it's, uh, well, you know what? Tell the folks how they can find us while I get my phone. Oh, you can find us at several different sources. We're on uh, iTunes. Search for us at Wages of Cinema. Leave a comment and subscribe. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud. Find us at soundcloud.com uh, slash wages of cinema. You'll be able to listen to all of our podcasts from the past and the present. Yes, and you can now send us email at wagesofcinema at gmail.com and Facebook at the Wages of Cinema podcast. You can find us pretty easily. Um, and I'm not quite sure if we'll do it this time, but we may have our first uh, viewer mail. Yeah. Which will be pretty awesome. We may address that next time, just because there's there's so much to talk about. But before we move on, uh, our uh, our fan asked us uh, if you could do some impressions. Me. So oh. uh, will you please indulge us and uh, give us your your famous Alfred Hitchcock? You mean the Hitchcock that you mocked last time? That you thought you you made me sound you then you went into a David Bowie impersonation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Alfred. Um, what are some other ones that I could do uh, on short notice? Um, do hmm. your uh, <laughs> do your David Bowie. <laughs> oh. 
the funky, funky eye patch. That, that, now I'm imitating... No, no, now I'm doing an imitation of someone doing a David Bowie imitation on Flight of the Concords. No. The... Um, it's meta. Me, uh, you know what's weird with David Bowie? Like, he has different modes. Like, when you hear him just talk regularly, kind of just like, you know, in Labyrinth, turn back, sir. Turn back before it's too late. Yeah, he's almost like Al Guinness. Yeah, he has a little <laughs> bit of an Al Guinness troll, but then when he sings, it's jump magic jump. Yeah. Oh, be dancing and swinging and music Ooh. singing. Yeah, so the way you do. Ooh. But too bad David Bowie will always be more awesome than either of us combined. So yeah, and let me do one more. Alan Rickman. I I just. <clears throat> You, Mr. Rickman, would you like a glass of water? I don't see why that is really appropriate for this podcast. I'm, I'm just saying, you know. You, what are you trying to say? That I am a dry person? That my voice sounds like it needs watering? No, I just was wondering. Hmm. I shall take this glass from you with my hand and drink it. Thank you. Mm, this is very moist. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> All right. I'm anyway, done. I hope that tied you over until the next round. Yes. So let's uh, let's get, get on, on with, with it. the let's go <laughs> with the two minute movie mile. Um, or as two you, triple M, as we like to the call two it. Two triple M, where we talk about the movies that we watched in uh, two minutes. And of um, course, Jack goes first. So, are uh, you ready, Jack? We go first. However, we are actually going to start off today with the uh, Daily Double. <laughs> in a moment. Um, and uh, the reason why I want to start off with this is because, A, I just saw this movie a couple days ago, but also it does kind of involve another movie. So, in a way, I'm sort of not cheating, but like, I need four minutes to talk about this because. So, you heard it. Up Jack is cheating. Uh, you got four <laughs> minutes. Ready, set, go. Okay, so the best film that I have seen so far this year is called The Look of Silence. Now, have you heard of a film called The Act of Killing? I may have, but it just seems like a general title that I've I've heard. A couple years ago, a documentary came out. And, uh, oh, this is this the is... one about the people in Cambodia? Or well, Laos Indonesia. Or... Oh, what Indonesia. happened was, okay, so back in the 60s, the military took over the government and basically proceeded to kill thousands, actually up to a million communists, or suspected communists. Yeah. And, you know, these people were innocent people. And in the act of killing, um, the director, this director, Joshua Oppenheimer, uh, basically his subjects were the killers, or a group of the killers, Led by this guy, Anwar Congo. Because, basically, and, right now, no one cares because these people, you know, they they well, set the stage for the government, so they're like heroes. Well, they never got prosecuted. They yeah. were, you know, not only that, they've, they, you know, nobody ever, there was no justice. In the act of killing, it was the most extraordinary thing that you'll ever see because the killers were reenacting times that they killed people as if it were like famous movie scenes like as if it was a gangster movie it was really really bizarre and also really just hard to watch yeah like herzog and errol morris you know saw the movie and they're like oh my god this is the second coming and so the executive produced it what the look of silence is is a follow-up to the act of killing from the same director okay who's the director it's uh, joshua oppenheimer as okay. i mentioned 
This time, uh, we get it from the victim's side. Or rather, the story is told from this guy. His name is, I believe, Adi. And his brother was killed back in the 60s by, uh, this, by these killers. And so he spends the movie interviewing uh, the you know, uh, people who were involved with the killings, not the guy who directly killed him, but, but he does watch video of that. Like there's also like, there's kind of homemade video shot, like almost 10 years ago of the killers describing leading somebody down to like this river where really graphically they killed this guy. Yeah. And you know, and you know, this guy's just asking them very basic questions. Like, you know, do you, is this, are you following, like, God? Is this, you know, Islam tells you not to kill. And one guy actually tells him point blank, well, you know, you know, yeah, Muhammad never killed anyone, but it's okay to kill your enemies. Yeah. <laughs> the movie is, it's, it's not, if it's not as daring as the, uh, as the act of killing, though, it's more emotionally satisfying. It's... Because you're watching this guy trying to come to terms with this and try to understand, you know, you you people who I'm talking to, you have no, you seem to have no understanding that what you did was wrong. Yeah. That, you know, I I could almost I would want to try to forgive you if you had any sense of that, but people could tell him what's past is in the past. You know, don't open up a wound. You're gonna have more communists that'll come forward. And like his and they also talk about like he shows his mother and his father and his father is at the point where he's now like completely lost like his memory or he's almost at that point. And so you yeah. also get in the movie, the sense that, um, you know, memories are what we have. And now he doesn't even remember that his son was killed mm-hmm. these many years ago. So, you know, there's this great sense of sadness, but also, you know, trying to find catharsis and it's just an extraordinary, extraordinary film. Like, when I saw it, there were even, like, special Human Rights Watch people there for the Q&A. So, um, the look of silence, people. Wow. Yeah, dude. It's intense. I always wonder, like, with movies uh, that are such... I, it's always weird because we think of movies as entertainment. And there are documentaries well, that ultimately do entertain. I should mention that these movies actually have quite a bit of humor in them. Oh, which is really weird too. Like, <laughs> well, some of it's just so like you're laughing because you don't know what else to do. I mean, like in the act of killing, you know, these guys are like, yeah, I killed a thousand people, and you know, I had to drink their blood, otherwise I'd go crazy. <laughs> they say this on camera. All right, it's my turn. All right, in three, two, one. All right, I'm just going to talk about two movies because they're basically the same movie. Do you the need three four Musketeers and the Four Musketeers? Nope, okay. I can do it in two minutes. All right, go ahead. This started out as one movie, and it's yes, got and it's got directed by Richard Lester. Right, Richard Lester, uh, and it's got Michael York. I think I called him Peter York two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed, uh, Christopher Lee, yeah. Charlton Heston, and uh, what's her name? Raquel Welch, and everybody is perfectly cast. Charlton Heston plays Cardinal Richelieu. He's the uh, he's the he's the he's the villain. Why do I think that Christopher Lee played? No, Rochefort. Christopher Lee plays his henchman. Oh, Rochefort. Okay. Rochefort, and Raquel Welsh plays this sort of clumsy, okay. <laughs> like chambermaid, <laughs> and she's like, and she's perfect. Is in she the, like the like damsel that. in distress? Well, in a lot of cases, yeah, but it's not about her. Okay, and it's got a lot of like Spike Milligan's in it, and so is the guy who played Veruca's father in in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Uh, but tons of great people. 
and it's just got uh, they were going to make this into one movie, and they had so much stuff that they decided, okay, we can split this into two movies, wow. and it'll be pretty even because like there are two complete stories here. It's not like a it's not like a Hobbit thing they're trying to pull here, right? And it's great they were able to do that. It's got great sword fighting. Oliver Reed was a great sword fighter. So was Christopher Lee. He fights Michael York on a frozen pond. Jeez. Yeah, and uh, it, there's so much action, and it never. And even though it's like a film from the 70s, it never feels stale. It's probably better than anything you'd seen in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Okay. Uh, great sword fighting. Uh, Christopher Lee gets a chance to really act it up. He's when you really, say acted up, do you mean like he's hamming it no, up? No, he's or? not hamming it up. He's he's legitimately acting and playing a great character. Okay. Like one time, uh, a friend. Faye Dunaway is in it, and she plays like a spy, and she steals diamonds. It's like, ah, these, these remind me of your eyes. And it's like, don't you mean they're as hard as my heart? And it's like, well, I had thought of that, but I decided to go the other route. <laughs> Time. Oh, so good. Okay, I meant to. T- I'm. I really had meant to watch both of those uh, when they aired them. Like, because when I watched the two Dracula movies for our bro- broadcast uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, they also played the Musketeer movies. But it was when you I was missed at work. out, man. All right. Well, I'll watch them one day. Your turn. Ready, set, go. Uh, Inside Out, the latest uh, from Pixar. Uh, Okay. Is it great or is it not great? It is great. All right. The end. Next. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So what? What is? What is the? Well, what is the greatest thing about this great film? Okay. Well, here's the thing you should know about is that this is Pixar at their most daring to me. Because of the message that ultimately is conveyed here. And this isn't even spoiling anything, but ultimately what you take away from it is that um, it's a kid's movie that tells kids it's not only okay to be sad, you sometimes need to be sad sometimes in life. You know, because yeah. like kids, you know, they're taught at a young age, be happy all the time. You know, don't be sad, don't be crying, don't, go, don't have tantrums, you know, don't have like those lower emotions. But this movie tells you, no, you sometimes do need to feel that. Those are important in your life. Right. And so in this movie, I mean, basically you get like all of the, you know, the five emotions in this girl's head who are controlling it. And there's this kind of conflict throughout the film between joy and sadness. And, you know, and it, it kind of turns a little bit like the one, it's not down, it's not a point that's down, but it's, you know, like Toy Story, you know, two characters have yeah. to get back to where they're at. And so Joy, you know, she keeps on trying to say, "Come on, sadness, perk up! Don't, don't touch the memory balls. You'll make everything sad." And sadness, like, I was just trying to, you know, do the thing. No, no, no! Don't make it sad. Make everything happy. And ultimately, it's interesting that this girl is, you know, meant to be the main character, but it's really Joy who has like this conflict here. And it's also a very funny movie. This right. very weird animation at times. One part you would love. At one point, the characters get trapped in a section of her head called abstract thought. (laughs) And the characters start turning into like Picasso pictures and like shapes and things. Dive. Go see it. All right. Great. Trust me, dude. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and also as a side note, there's a really lovely, uh, short, you know, before the movie, you know, Pixar always puts like little animated shorts before their movies. And right, this one, enough. I didn't even say what it was. Let me just say they one thing. Se- I'll say it in a sentence. Give All me a right, sentence. Fine. You get one sentence. It's the most adorable, sad movie about romantic volcanoes. All right. <laughs> it's called well Lava. All right. That's two sentences. All right. All right. In three, two, one. 
There will be blood. Oh, goody. Uh, so, you'd seen this before. No. Really? Never seen it before. Why did I feel like you'd seen it before? I don't know. I mean, I guess there was just time when... I guess it's just that so much of it has been absorbed by okay. popular culture right, so that tell me, basically you know the important things. Did you did you think it was great? Uh, I did think it was great. Okay. I, basically, it is just a character piece about Daniel Plainview, uh, the craziest oil tycoon who ever lived. <laughs> and it's another surprising rating because I it's get, got an R rating. Nothing super violent happens until the end, and even that's really kind of subtle. Yeah, it doesn't really deserve an R rating. Yeah, does this could it? have been PG thirteen. It really except should for the have. fact that a man gets bludgeoned with a bowling pin. That is true. There is that, but still, I mean, there's so many more violent things. I, but the, the point the is, most violent things that happen like are a few accidents that you bear, that don't really show anything, and then uh, a few slaps. Yeah, uh, including one of my favorite scenes where uh, Daniel Day Lewis smears. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Paul Dano. Paul Dano with mud. He's I'm just going slapped. to bury you under the ground. <laughs> There's another imitation for you guys. I know. Um, but Dale Day Lewis just owns this movie, though. Yeah. I mean, and he's just like man. Well, well it is. I mean, it's basically just for him. It's a character piece, and you know, great character pieces have great actors who can just take that character and do the most with mm-hmm. it. Three minutes. Uh, there actually, there are some subtle moments, though. That's what is, like, overlooked. Yeah, there are a lot of big, big moments, like that church well, The scene. one thing that sticks out for me is when he's talking to that guy from Union Oil, and he's trying to say, you, you just sell us the land, you'll never get this oil out. And he mentions his son, and he's like, don't, don't. One night I'm going to come into your house, and I'm going to cut your throat. Yeah, it's, and you realize, he's crazy. And he seems normal, but once you disturb him a little bit, the crazy comes out really easily. Oh, man, lots of fun. I I could talk for days about that movie. I should have finished. Well, that's why we only have two minutes. Uh, All right. All right. So, your turn. Ready, set, go. Uh, Because you were just talking about Paul Dano, I saw Paul Dano in Love and Mercy. Um, Now, uh, do you like... Two of my favorite things. Do you like the Beach Boys? Yeah, I love the Beach Boys. Yeah, well, this is about the Beach Boys. Well, specifically Brian Wilson. Yeah, it looks the at... interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one who definitely had some of the the more emotional problems. Um, it follows what I like about this movie so much, and this is probably one of the best rock biopics I've seen in a long time, maybe ever. Is it looks at his life? It doesn't do like the full life story. It looks at when he's in the 60s recording pet sounds. Right. And when he's in the 80s um, just getting his bearings again and about to record his first solo album, which is Love and Mercy. And it looks at basically how he... like The thing that's great, too, about this movie is that he has this relationship with Elizabeth Banks' character in the 80s. Two actors play him. It's Paul Dano and John Cusack. Right. And you also get this real, like icky power struggle there's a lot about this with about father figures brian wilson's own father was this domineering prick in the 60s who brian wilson could never please even though hey i'm making my masterpiece here sloop john b and the father's (laughs) like hey check out this new band i found they're awesome and they play just like you and then in the 80s (laughs) paul giamatti plays the psychiatrist who's Really, like, you you get the sense that maybe at some point he's helped Brian Wilson, but now he's completely overridden his life, and he's misdiagnosed Brian Wilson. Like, Brian Wilson was claimed to be a paranoid schizophrenic when he wasn't. Uh, And so... that's a problem. The acting here is great. Paul Dano, 
for the first time in as long as I can remember, he's not punchable. You actually kind of want to give him a <laughs> hug because he's going through such pain while he's creating his art. And it's also great because you get to see the artistic process and love. Stop. So all right, I'm glad to know I, that. I, I hadn't even heard about that movie. Yeah, it kind of was under the radar, and I was, uh, I was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lighten the mood with this next one. Okay. Um, all right, right, and we're by the way, we'll be talking maybe a little bit about the Beach Boys later on the show. But Sweet, three fifty. Uh, the Court Jester, starring Danny Kaye. Okay. You've never seen the Court Jester, I assume. No, I have actually not seen any Danny Kaye movies. All right, so The Court Jester is probably his funniest movie from everything I've heard. Okay. Uh, it takes place in the Middle Ages. Uh, he he is part of the this group of rebels who's trying to overthrow the king who usurped uh, the throne. Uh-huh. And it's, basic, it's basically about a plan. Uh, it is a very complicated plot. But it is also the funniest plot that you've ever that you've ever seen. Okay. He has to sneak into the castle. He has to pretend pretend to be the court jester, and apparently, someone inside the the castle wants him to assassinate the king, and the princess wants him wants him to carry her off. It's so many things, but you never lose track of what's going on. Okay, which is crazy to me because there are so many movies when too much is going on, right? Where people try to make complicated plots and they fail all the time. Yeah, but this. One not only made sense, but it's super funny. Okay. <laughs> and remember how I was talking about authenticity in films? Okay. They sing about finding authenticity for the film in the opening <laughs> theme of the of the movie. Oh, so it almost had a little bit of like a Muppets flavor. In a way. And we'll do it all again. Yes. You know what I mean? So is it like, are there songs in the movie? I felt like... Yes, there are songs. Because I thought... Because my understanding is that Danny Kaye, he was a comic, but he also was like kind of a song and dance man. Yeah, I mean, he certainly he certainly does all. Uh, he sings, he dances, he does basically everything. He plays different characters within the movie. Oh, okay. Oh, multiple characters too. All right. Yeah, and so, Basil Rathbone is in this, and there are t- oh little boy. tiny references to the Adventures of Robin Hood in the final scenes. Is he the villain? He is the villain. Okay. Who else would Basil Rathbone be? I don't know. And it's also got Angela Lansbury as the oh. as the princess. So. Uh, and last and words. Uh. The vessel with the pestle has the brew that is true. Okay, time. <laughs> you would get it if, if you I had saw seen the, the movie. movie. Yeah, that's interesting. Like of all the comics, I. Uh, it's funny because George Carlin has said once that like Danny Kaye was the guy he wanted to be when he was a kid. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. Back in the old days. All right, so I guess I'll be up next. Uh, I guess. Or um, do you have any, I don't see do you have anyone any else. More, do you have any more movies? Oh, I have a few more. Don't worry. Okay, don't worry. good. All right, ready? All right. <laughs> ready? Set, go. All right, so since you just talked about a comic, I saw my first Harold Lloyd movie, Safety Last. I have not seen any Harold Lloyd movies, so tell I me know. about this. Okay, so... This um, is the one where he hangs from the clock t- tower, is it not? Yes, but what happens... All right, but there's a lot that builds up to that. What this is, is actually... Is that like the climax of the film? Yeah. Um, um, so we've basically just seen its greatest. <laughs> scene. Well, you've, it's on the cover of the DVD, but I mean this. But he's actually. All right. What happens is this is really, in a way, a, the template for so many romantic comedies that have come in the past several years. Because what happens is in this movie. Now that really intrigues me because romantic comedies are one of the most tired things. Yes, but here today. Yes, but so, here it's kind of feels fresh because all right. In the short of it, that I can sum it up. Harold Lloyd goes to the city to try to get work so that he can support his girl back home. 
and he gets a job working in a garment store. And he keeps sending her jewelry and trying to use whatever money he has. He issues having food so he can buy her jewelry. And so his wife, so his girl thinks, hey, you must be making a lot of money. I'm going to come to the city to be with you. <laughs> and so she doesn't really realize that, oh, like, she, he doesn't tell her that I'm actually just a clerk. And so he keeps up this ruse to her. <laughs> you know, I'm actually the general manager. Here's my office. Uh-oh, the general manager's coming back. Act like you're fainting. I'm going <laughs> to help. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't see her in there. So everything in this movie is about mishaps and misunderstandings. And as much as the basically the, the clock tower scene comes because like he makes he has to make a thousand dollars because he told his manager, I'm going to come up with a way to get more customers for the store. So his his friend will climb up this building and people will be like, oh, my God. Oh, let's go in this garment store. But instead, misunderstandings happen. Harold Lloyd has to climb up the building. The build, the climb up the building is a comic tour de force, and yet I like the scenes in the Time. shop more. Oh, wow, that's cool. And one and one like side thing that I wanted to say that I said in my review: if if Charlie Chaplin is Elvis and Buster Keaton is uh, Chuck Berry, Harold Lloyd is Buddy Holly. Who's the Beatles? Uh, the Marx Brothers. Ah. Yeah. You're, see, you're, you're, see what I did there? You're, you're doing it. <laughs> I didn't actually think about that last one, but that's... I came up with that answer right about the same yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> th- but I thought of Harold Lloyd that way because he looks kind of nerdy, um, and he seems so unassuming. Okay. But, uh, cool. yeah, really great, uh, you know, slaps to come. Every day it's a getting closer. Now, all, every time I hear that song, all I can think of is Gary Busey. From what? He played Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly stuff. Oh! <laughs> that was so long ago. Like, the way I see Gary Busey today I know, is it's not crazy. Like that, right? All right, let's get on to me, okay. the, the most important person. Okay, go. Uh, a Few Good Men. Okay. Directed by Rob Reiner. Yes. I didn't know Rob Reiner directed this. This must have been before North. This was right <laughs> before North. This was, like, at the tail end of his, like, 10 year run of making awesome movies. Yeah, of awesome his movies. awesome run. Yeah. Uh,. uh uh, Aaron Sorkin wrote the screenplay. He did. Uh, it's Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson. Tom Cruise does, has a great performance. He, he's he's re- actually very forceful. I remember him, like, everybody remembers Nicholson, but Cruise puts a lot into this movie. Well, Nicholson steals the movie. Well, yeah, he shows up for, like, three because scenes. Because, A, he's Jack Nicholson, and B, he gets the best lines. He's the one who says, you can't handle the truth. Yeah, he's the one that gets the speech at the end, you know, and... Uh, Plus, he, he's just he plays a gigantic a, prick. Yeah, but he's re- a really well-drawn character as well. Uh, basically, two Marines are arrested for the murder of another Marine, and it find and they and people find out that they basically were, were giving him what's called a code red, which was kind of a uh, kind of a hazing, if you will, to get him to shape yeah. up. Mm-hmm. But in the process, he dies. And it's got you know, Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, I forgot as about one that. of Jack Nicholson's underlings, and he is probably. Almost more despicable than Jack Nicholson is. Interesting. He does, he does an awesome job. And uh, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Kevin right. Bacon. And uh, <laughs> uh, Demi Moore. Right. If I remember. Yeah, a lot of good actors. Ultimately, the movie, I feel like, from what I, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but ultimately, it looks at masculinity in the military and I what that say means. It's so much about or maybe power. masculinity is certain certainly part of it uh Demi Moore is certainly the the, the odd woman out well when it comes it, to uh, it's, like it's a man's world in the military well, yeah yeah when it comes to like hazing somebody like that though it's all about but i, I don't think grunt. it's you're gonna get in our man way or something 
Yeah, but it's also but there is a great moment at the end where the Marines don't get off scot free, but they realize what the problem is. Says they say we should. Ah, I just there's a great line. Time. I can't, oh, well, you, people have to see the movie. To yeah, you gotta that see out. the movie. Too bad. Had you ever seen it before? No. Yeah, it's a movie that plays a lot on TV, and yet it's not the same because you know, like there's a good bit of cursing there. Oh yeah. When Nicholson's getting dragged yeah. off at the end. <laughs> I'm gonna rip your balls off and shove them down your throat! You fuck with the wrong Marine! <laughs> Alright, sorry. Uh, hold on, give me a second. Uh, when did you first see that movie? I don't remember. It was a, it was a while, but I, it was probably on TV somewhere. Okay, alright, this uh, your turn, so race it, go. Joe. Uh, not unassuming oh, title. Oh, with Peter Bo- uh Peter- No, not that Joe. Oh, This Joe stars Nicolas Cage. Now, this movie came out last year. You'd be surprised to know, but maybe happy to know, Nicolas Cage can still act. So this isn't just crazy Nicolas Cage. No, this, this is, is not Nicolas Cage. This is super Cage. actor Nicolas this Cage. This is Nicolas Cage in a great role. What he is, is he's basically this ex-con who is now, he's trying to keep his life settled, and he runs like this blue collar company like bring down trees in the woods or something and he this kid who's kind of like he doesn't go to school i guess he he's kind of off on doing nothing so he comes into this guy's life and he starts working for him and this kid basically has a father who to put it lightly is a bastard who's like maybe one of the worst despicable villains you'd ever want to meet because he's like basically a bum who steal who takes all the money that this kid makes from his work for joe and so what you get is the story of this guy trying to get redemption, but he's, you know, had, a, you know, Nicolas Cage's character had a rough life for himself. And just a real down and dirty, gritty movie. Some of it's kind of disturbing. Um, it comes from the director, David Gordon Green, who his most famous movie is Pineapple Express, but he really made his teeth making movies like George Washington, uh, Undertow. It's it's really a southern fried drama in a way. Like there are characters mm. who are really like, like you could tell that aside from Nicolas Cage and the kid, everyone else is a non-professional. So Nicolas Cage has to be that good. Yeah, and he is. He has to be natural. Um, once or twice, you look at his beard. He wears a beard in the movie, and you wonder, <laughs> is this fake? It almost looks fake the way, even though you've grown your beard out. But it's not. It's an extraordinary movie. I was really glad I finally saw it. Can't see it for the beard. Time's up. Yeah. Okay. This one uh, is going to be interesting for you, I think. Okay. Um, this is my last film. Okay. And uh, go ahead. All right. I just saw Leon, The Professional. Okay. Never seen it before. Corey's favorite movie. Or it was yes. her favorite movie at one time. Oh, I see. Uh, John Renault. John Renault. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. And He's Nadine tired Portman. of this Mickey Mouse shit. <laughs> I listened to a podcast. Uh, was, it on talking... t- was it on 10 Minutes about your favorite No, movie? this was on uh, I Was There Too. And someone said, and the guy said, I think basically what happens is uh, he takes pills and he always calls them <laughs> and he says, these are his acting pills. Because here's the thing about The Professional. It's yeah. not a gr- good script. I think it's, it's. I think it has a good plot. It has a good plot, but the script doesn't necessarily connect things in a meaningful way. It's basically, well, we have to get Leon to take this girl on as an apprentice. So, here, reason. Next, 
But, and I think basically the best way to describe this film is it's a battle by Natalie Portman and Gary Oldman to keep this film alive. Because John Reno is not a leading man. He's kind of interesting, and though. He, but he does. But you can't always understand him. He does he's, have a little bit a of a He's a good actor, but he's mouth. better in in side roles. And so Gary Oldman just acts acts it up like crazy. And Natalie Portman gives one of the best child acting performances ever. It she is, is the it, reason to see the film. It's the reason she became a star. Yeah, and there's all this weird sexual tension, and <laughs> yeah, you saw that scene, didn't you? Did yeah. you watch the uncut version? No, I don't. I don't think. So. Did I? Was, I think I did. Uh, okay, yeah. Did you have the scene at the dinner table? Yes. Yeah. Oh god. Like it's funny when Corey watched it. She was like, "Oh, and yeah, another I don't thing." Like that scene. Gary Oldman acts crazy and like how did this man ever balance being a policeman and a criminal he has no restraint whatsoever there's no this guy did this guy just start last week stop Stop. don't you know andrew that's how cops are in new york city well it was 80s new york so that's true all right i'm done so you you have to marathon it and i think there's a lawnmower outside which Uh, is trying to mess with me damn it People trying to keep their lawns trim. All right, you set? How many movies do you have left? Oh, God, let me see. Um, I have a lot. Pull, Pull through, th- Jack. You can do this. Can you give me the Rocky music? No. All right. Ready, set, go. Uh, the Celebration. Uh, this is a movie from the late 90s. Did you ever hear of the Dogma 95 movement? No. Okay, what this was was... Was uh, that a, a rap group? group? I, that's actually not bad, I wish. No, this is a group of filmmakers in the late 90s who decided, all right, we're tired of all the conventional ways of filmmaking. We want to strip it down to raw essentials. No lighting. Uh, you know, not, I mean, no artificial lighting. No tripods. No film. Um, yeah, well, yeah, digital was used mainly. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, uh, early digital, like primitive digital. So this movie is, um, and Lars von Trier did a lot of Dogma 95 movies. This movie is, um, actually I talked about this director before, he had done The Hunt and Far From the Madding Crowd. Um, this movie is about a celebration, this family comes together for the patriarch's 60th birthday, and a certain uncomfortable secret is revealed, very casually, like, they're giving, like, speeches at this table, everyone's around, and the son basically gets up, he's giving, like, the speech, and mentions... Oh yeah, and that time that dad, you know, uh, touched me as a kid, and everyone think is uncomfortable. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, like, movie really kind of traces the fallout over the next few days. This movie, as I described in my review, is a movie on fire. <laughs> this movie is like explosive dynamite. There's, like, so much, like, combustible have, energy to, going on. You have to transport it in a very slow-moving truck. Yeah, well, the subject matter complements the style really well. Because, you know, it's very digital and handheld, like I said. At times, characters are actually passing along the camera because they couldn't use Dolly. And yet, it matches up how nervous the energy of the subject matter is. The fact oh. that there's a secret. These family members are kind of horrible people, but there's all these secrets coming to light. Time. Really glad I saw it. All right, okay. take a deep breath. Next movie. Uh, Five, four, three, two, one, go. Uh, you may have seen a little bit about this movie on Welcome to the Basement. Ingmar Bergman's The Magician. Yeah. Um, Anskatet. Ans- yeah, which means actually the face in Swedish. 
I learned that thanks to the review. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, story of Max von Sydow uh, playing this uh, magician, or so-called magician. And I for the first half of the movie, it's interesting because he... Uh, he, do, he, he, he barely speaks through the first yeah, half no, of the Yeah, no, he film. doesn't speak at all. He and says, like, never mind. No, he no, he doesn't speak his first words until an hour into the film. Right. And, you know, and he appears and he has, like, this beard, which looks obviously fake, and, you know, this wig. And people actually point this out, but he's just like, no, I'm here to do magic. He doesn't say that. Um, well, a lot of this movie is about, I thought, this was Ingmar I came Bergman. here to do two things. <laughs> do magic and chew bubblegum. <laughs> and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> Can um, you imagine Max von Sydow saying that? Uh, I can. That would be pretty badass. All right. Um, this movie follows um, Wild Strawberries and the Seventh Seal in Bergman's catalog, so he's still dealing with issues of what is enlightenment in this world. Religion. And this, yeah, but this time it's interesting because it's more about the artistic process, and you know, you have like this doctor who's there to view this magic act, but he's more interested in doing an autopsy on the magician yeah. than actually getting the magic act. There are a couple of sequences involving magic that are extraordinary. Primarily the the kind of the climax of the movie where the doctor is performing an autopsy on a character. Yeah. I won't say who, but it kind of turns into a horror movie if yeah. for like five minutes and it's great. It's really intense and you know, because it's in black and white, it has that added edge of power. Uh Cedo's great, all of the Bergman regulars are great, lots of wonderful existential dialogue. Uh so Time. all right. Take another deep breath, Jack. Uh, Go. Don't me possible if you don't. All right, uh, come and see. Um, now, this title I know. This is from the mid '80s. It's this is a about, Russian film, right? For, about World War II. Yeah, this is from the point of view of a child who, uh, well, he's first drafted into the army, uh, Belarusian army, and he's kind of left behind to like guard the fort or whatever it is. But then. Lo and behold, the army comes, and well, the other side, the Nazis, bombing the crap out of them, but he survives somehow. But he loses his hearing. Well, yeah, at first he, he kind of becomes deaf for a little while, but that's only the start of his trouble. Turns out his family, along with the rest of the village that they lived in, has been killed. Um, he's all off on his own, and he has, like, nothing, no hope. So he's basically trying like to survive. Russians. Yes. Um... Watching this movie, you really, really hate the Nazis. This uh, that's not so hard to do. No, it's not. But they really like. There's no. There's not a hint of subtlety in this movie. It's basically like there's a 30 minute sequence in this film where they just show the Russians gathering up villagers in this. The in Russians this town. or the Nazis? The Nazis. Sorry, they're gathering up the Bell Russians into like this barn and. Spoiler alert! They flamethrow the fuck out of the, the, the barn. Um, so watching this movie multiple times, I said out loud, Jesus Christ! Yeah. It's a very intense movie. A, a lot of it's shot with a Steadicam, which is, you know, it like yeah. from The Shining, it's that method of following characters, and you can have long takes, so you really feel like you're there in the action. Um, and the end of the movie is kind of interesting, because the kid... He doesn't really get revenge, but he does take his gun and shoots a painting of Hitler over and over for five minutes. Time. 
so... Catharsis! Yeah. <laughs> okay, next up. Uh, set go. Uh, continuing on with uh, wonderful portraits of war, uh, The Ballad of the Little Soldier. Um, this mm. is a Werner Herzog documentary. About um, the world's smallest soldier, only two feet high. <laughs> no, you're thinking of Even Dwarves Started Small, which is actually his, like... That's 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 Werner Herzog's terror in Tiny Town, <laughs> but no, this is a, it's actually barely a feature. It's like forty five minutes long, also from the mid eighties, and like Come and See, it's kind of devastating because it's the story of what's going on in Honduras at the time, hmm. uh, which involved the Sandinistas and uh, their whole thing about killing you know lots of people. Um, and so Herzog, you know, th sometimes in some of his documentaries, he tried to employ kind of like a self-conscious style. Sometimes he, in other documentaries, he'd have characters kind of frozen looking at the camera in like posed things. Yeah. This is not that. This is basically like something he should submit to Human Rights Watch. This is almost, in a way, in line with uh, like the look of silence. Mm. Um, because not for the whole documentary, like half of it's kind of just following these people who've been displaced and they're in refugee camps and they've lost families. But the second half involves child soldiers. These, these like kids like who are nine, 10, 11, 12, who've now been drafted. I feel really crappy for making a joke. <laughs> yeah. Shame on you, Andrew. Uh, no, it's, 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 it's a, it's kind of hard to watch. Like, and actually Herzog later on in interviews said like he, he doesn't have that many strong political beliefs. Like he's not a Democrat or Republican, but he kept saying over and over again in this review, no, this is wrong. Having child soldiers, no, no. And yeah. you get that passion in the film, even though uh, it's co-directed by a guy who basically states this, but... Um, Time. Yeah. It's a ballad of little soldiers. It's been a heavy two weeks for you, man. It kind of has. Even, even the fun Pixar movie teaches you that sadness is like... A necessary thing as a kid. Hey, um, that's the best you can do. All right, and I have one more movie. One more. All right, make it good. Ready, set, go. Um, uh, another character name is a title. Gertrude. Um, this one. I don't know if this would be up your alley. This is a a kind of um, uh, it's it's from the mid '60s. It's about a woman who is uh, kind of dealing with her realization that her marriage is a sham right. she doesn't love the man she's with she loves a much younger guy and yet he doesn't want to really be with her um this movie is from director carl dreyer who you may remember from passion of joan of arc and vampire or oh, vampire yeah. or whatever um this was his last film it got drubbed when it was first released uh like critics said and i quote more museum piece than masterpiece. Mm. Um, it's not an easy watch to say. I mean, it is kind of um, uh, stately. It's a little bit like characters, like takes last a long time and characters are, it's a weird thing where usually in a movie acting is all about how, you know, you're looking at the other actor. You're trying to gauge your emotional level by looking at them. A lot of the time in this movie, characters are talking to one another, but they're not looking at each other. Like, the woman will often be kind of looking off in the distance. It's like Bergman there. Yeah, but even more so. Like, no, like, even, like, 
he but, but even Ingmar Bergman would be like, all right, tone yeah, it down. Yes. But there is... I started watching this late at night, and I thought, all right, maybe this movie will put me to sleep, frankly. But I, I mean to do that for the, against the movie. But I couldn't stop watching it. I was actually very intrigued by where this was going to go. Um, again, does, not, it, does it pay off? Ultimately, it does. It does. By the end of the movie, like, this woman's now old, and she kind of looks back on her life like, what have I done with love? I had Jeez. to end it somehow. <laughs> Yeah, it is a sad ending. But why don't you why don't you lighten up, Jack? I don't know. I I stop taking Pixar's advice. <laughs> yeah, and, no, but that's a that's a really good list of films. I'll have to check out I, some of them. Come I and see to... is one I'm probably going to have to see simply for its historical context. It oh seems yeah, like a, a real well that one especially. I mean, that's apparently based on how the Nazis wiped out something like. And they say at the end of the film, 620-something villages with all the people in them. Oh, yeah. Millions of people. Yeah. It's like, it's so underreported how, you know, like everybody talks about America in World War II, but the Russians really got it rough in that war, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, it's like, the one thing I should have also mentioned just really fast and come and see, like, by... The kid, you know, the guy's, you know, the main character's a kid, but over the course of the movie, they subtly add makeup to his face, and by the end of the movie, he looks old. Wow. Yeah, and he has his face, like, mm. so yeah, so that's uh, the two-minute movie mile. Now, go see some depressing movies, like Come and See and The Look of Silence, <laughs> and then I... when you're done, go see Safety Last and The Court Jester. It'll put yeah. you up, you'll be sad for a while. And then you'll be happy. Again. Yes. So I mean, circle I, of life. I will say I did have a pretty great movie week. I, I did. I did too. Yes. And when we come back, we'll talk about our uh, our lists, the uh, New Year's movie list, and uh, it might be a little bit America themed this one. Yes. Yeah.